So if you would turn with me, please, to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10, verse 35. It's on page 1,442, and the Bible's provided for you there. Uh, Like Sam said, we're starting a new sermon series today. We are following the lectionary into the Gospel of Mark, and we're looking at a handful of interactions that Jesus has with his disciples and with some other people, which bring up questions about what we have and what we don't, and how we feel about what we have and how we feel about what we don't. So we've titled this series, Abundance Over Scarcity. Uh, And the idea is that if we're looking at our lives through the filter of God's abundance to us, recognizing uh, all of the things that we have and all of the opportunities that we have and everything that God has given us, then we will be quicker to live with the spirit of abundance. However, uh, if we are looking at our lives through the filter of scarcity, thinking that there's not enough to go around and thinking that we have to scrape and scrap for everything that we get and that we're not getting what we deserve then we are more likely going to be living our lives with a spirit of scarcity. So it's interesting. Uh, This language about abundance and scarcity actually has its roots in neuropsychology. So in the last like 10 or 15 years or so, there have been multiple peer-reviewed studies that have proven the impact of a a person's frame of mind and their, uh, when it comes to their emotional health and when it comes to even their cognitive function. So for example, uh, there's a study done in 2017 and researchers discovered that people would score worse on IQ scores, on IQ tests, if right before the test they were asked, people were asked to imagine a huge car repair bill. So, like, this, they didn't have a car repair bill, but they were just asked to think about it for, like, just a few minutes, think about a great big car repair bill, and then take an IQ test, and they did worse on the IQ test. So this scarcity frame of mind, this scarcity mindset has not only, like, emotional impact on us, but it has, it has a cognitive impact on us, and it changes the way that we show up in the world. Um, so this is, a, this is an idea that's rooted in neuropsychology, but also uh, beyond neuropsychology, there are deep spiritual truths at play here. The Apostle Paul in uh, Philippians chapter 4 talks about how, like, over the years, something happened in him. He, he, he lived for some time, and he lived quite a life, but over the years, he ultimately got to a point Uh, where he learned how to be content in every circumstance. That's the way he put it. He learned how to be content in every circumstance, how essentially to have an an abundance mindset no matter what was going on with him. He said that it did not matter, uh, it, it didn't rise or fall if he had something to eat or if he didn't have something to eat. It didn't rise or fall if um, he had the first century equivalent of a car repair bill or not. He had learned to be content no matter the circumstance. That there's something bigger, Paul said, than his circumstances. There was something that was so much, very very much beyond his circumstances, so that no matter what was going on in his life, 
He had this abundance frame of mind. So that's what we're after. That's what we're talking about over these next four or five weeks or so. So let's take a look at this text. Mark chapter 10, beginning at verse 35. See if you can pick up the scarcity mindset in this text. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to Jesus. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right hand and the other at your left in glory. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink? Or be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, You will drink the cup that I drink and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. But to sit at my right or my left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been, been prepared. When the ten heard, this, heard about this, they became indignant, which means angry with James and John. And Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must become your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is the word of the Lord. So one of the hallmarks of this scarcity mindset is this assumption that there, there are, there, there's a finite amount of resources out there. There's a finite amount of resources. There are a finite amount of opportunities to go around. And so when you have a chance, you have to jump ahead. And you have to make it happen for yourself. Uh, can you see how James and John had that perspective? Right? They had a scarcity mindset. A friend of mine once said that it's almost like James and John are trying to call shotgun in the kingdom of God. Right? hey, this is, looks like it's going to be a really long ride. I'd kind of like to be in the front seat. Shotgun! Called it! But not only are they looking like self-centered fools in this text, James and John are also showing that they have no idea what the kingdom of God is or how it works. There is a simple principle at work in the kingdom of God, and James and John were not understanding it. And the simple, simple principle goes like this. Abundance comes through sacrifice. Abundance comes through sacrifice. I'm going to give you an example of this, and then Jesus is going to give you an example of this, and you can decide whose is better, okay? Example number one, Stefan's example. Abundance comes through sacrifice in parenting. Think about it. Children, especially in their very, very early years of life, children have no practical function. 
They might be cute. They might be adorable, but they are not doing anything for anybody. Children, I love you guys, children are a vacuum of neediness and of resources and of time and of patience and of sanity, correct? All right, right, there we go. (laughs) Terrible. I meant what I said earlier, kids, about how important you are. But here's the thing, the most common way that children grow up to be self-sufficient adults is that they have self-sufficient adults in their lives who, in large part, set aside their own desires and set aside their own uh, things that they would like to accumulate and give that self-sufficiency to their children. Self-sufficient adults take everything that their self-sufficiency affords them And they use it to benefit, not themselves, but their children. And that's what creates, in many cases, a self-sufficient adult in the future. Self-sufficient adults generate a certain amount of social and emotional and economic capital in their lives. But then they give that to their children who don't have any of their own. And almost all of that capital gets invested in the lives of their kids. It's hard to be a parent. Because you're using everything you're accumulating, almost, on your kids. Food for kids, it's borrowed. Clothing, borrowed. Resources, borrowed. An identity, it's borrowed. Why do you think they walk around in our shoes, right? A sense of belonging, it's borrowed. They're learning it from us. A sense of security, it's borrowed. Children don't have any of those things on their own. They borrow them from the adults in their lives. And all of this, it should be said, comes at a tremendous cost to the adults. Because you can't just... (laughs) You can't just hand over a sense of security in one afternoon, right? If there was a workshop for kids where they developed a sense of security, like one afternoon, that'd be fantastic, but it doesn't work that way. Uh, That sense of security comes through a day-in, day-out, unrelenting, self-sacrifice, self-sacrificing relationship that children have with the adults in their life who have those things, or at least pretend like they have those things, trying to have those things. Abundance comes through, self, comes through sacrifice in parenting. That's my example. Here's Jesus' example. Jesus says, abundance comes through sacrifice in leadership. It's in verse 42 in the next couple of verses there. Jesus is sitting his disciples down. James and John just had their thing, and everybody's upset about it, understandably. So Jesus said, all right, have a seat, everybody. Let's talk about this. And Jesus uses the example of of Gentile leaders in the Roman government. And he says, you know how those guys are constantly lording it over people? 
You know how those people are constantly flexing their power on those who are beneath them? You know how they're constantly lording their power over those? Have you seen that they, they use their power to make as much of themselves as possible and they diminish those whom they're ruling over? And Jesus says, where has that ever gotten anyone? Where has that ever gotten anyone? People who lord their power over the people that they're in charge of? All that ever does is create an environment where, where people are looking to undercut each other. People are looking to snipe power from someone else who has more than them. There's no trust in a system like that. There's no growth in a system like that. There's no respect in a, in a system like that. There's no collective pull for the greater good in a system like that. It's just a scramble for resources. Everybody's calling shotgun. And then whoever is the meanest and the loudest and the most threatening is probably going to end up in the front seat. Jesus says, when has that ever worked for somebody? Well, or at least for a group of people. Jesus says, that is not how it works in the kingdom of God. That is not how it works. Abundance comes through sacrifice. So if anybody wants to become great in the kingdom of God, Jesus says, they're going to have to become like a slave to all. And then there's this key verse, verse 45. He says, for even the Son of Man, he's talking about himself, he's talking about the incarnate Son of God, even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So the logical extension that Jesus is making there is like, if God is doing this, don't you think we should be doing this? Abundance comes through sacrifice in leadership. There's a, a spiritual principle at work in the world, which um, we more often than not get completely wrong, which we more often than, than not get completely opposite because it goes against our every instinct. We tend to assume that the best indicator of human greatness and satisfaction and security is having more and being first and being the strongest, and being the best, and being the most aggressive. But in reality, Jesus says, in the greatest reality, in the kingdom of God, abundance comes through sacrifice. Alger Park. Do we have enough to sacrifice? Do we have enough to be patient? Do we have enough to just shut our mouths and listen? Do we have enough to be last? Now remember, we're the children of God. So our food is borrowed. Our clothes are borrowed. Our resources are borrowed. Our identity, borrowed. Our sense of belonging, 
borrowed. That gets inherited. We inherited that from our father. Our sense of security, borrowed. All of these things are things that we have inherited from our father. So do we have enough? I guess we'd have to ask God. Do we have enough confidence in the resources that God has sacrificed for us so that we can make sacrifices for others? I think it used to be, I think it's different now than it used to be. I think probably the pandemic took something from us here. Do you remember the great, toilet paper shortage of spring 2020? (laughs) Are you kidding me? That was us, folks. That was us. And that was not that long ago. Did we think people were going to stop figuring out how to make toilet paper? Like COVID, that's the one side effect. We don't know how to make toilet paper anymore. What were we expecting? It's really sad, um, but I think that the great toilet paper shortage of spring 2020 was a pretty good indicator of how the next season of our lives was going to go. Because it wasn't just scarcity of toilet paper that haunted us, it was scarcity of normalcy, right? And it was scarcity of calm, and it was scarcity of control. And then a little bit later became scarcity of liberty. And it became scarcity of freedom. And then it became a scarcity of feeling heard. Does anybody hear me? Does anybody know? Does anybody else feel what I feel? And then it became a scarcity of political power. And so what did we end up with? We ended up with a scarcity of compassion. And we ended up with a scarcity of empathy. And we ended up with a scarcity of listening and of trust. I think the pandemic took something from us. I also think that by God's power, we can get it back. But if we do get it back, it is going to take a very conscious shift in our mindset from that of scarcity to that of abundance. It's going to take a very intentional shift in our frame of mind from the need to be first to a willingness to be last. You know, I never thought of this before. Um, I listened to another pastor's sermon on this text um, this week. And he, he asked the question, he said, what if Jesus would have granted James and John their wish? What if Jesus would have said, you know what, okay, all right, I'm going to let you be on my right and you be on my left when I come in glory. So what if Jesus had allowed them to do that? Well, think about it. What is the most glorious moment in the story of Jesus? What is the most glorious thing that Jesus has ever done in all of his existence? Well, believe it or not, Jesus was at his most glorious point when he was hanging on a cross. That is the moment when he was most 
perfectly, most absolutely fulfilling his purpose. That is when he was most acutely being the savior of the universe. He was so full of his glory. And there were two people on his right and on his left. But it wasn't James and John. Jesus says, guys, you have no idea what you're asking for. And they didn't. To follow Christ is to follow him into sacrifice. James and John had no idea about that in Mark chapter 10, but they did learn it. They did learn it. And later on, these two guys would live their lives making all kinds of like beautiful sacrifices for the kingdom of God. But here's the thing. As they did that, as James and John made those sacrifices, they didn't do it out of scarcity. They didn't do it thinking that they were going to have less and less. They did it knowing that they were going to have more and more. They did it understanding that the Jesus who they loved died and rose and ascended to heaven and was seated on the throne of God and that everything in the universe was under his control. And because they had that inheritance, who could ever take anything from them? Scarcity. What's scarcity? They operated out of a sense of abundance. So in the same way that children can live out of the abundance afforded to them by the sacrifices of their parents, the children of God can live out of the abundance afforded to us by our Heavenly Father. It's in Christ's willingness to be humble that we find our security. It's in Christ's willingness to be meek that we discover our confidence. It's in Christ's willingness to be last that we find our abundance. So who is a Christ follower? Who is a Christ follower? Here's a Christ follower. On her way to the back of the line, a Christ follower, on her way to the back of the line, a child of God might ask, who has more than me? Who has more than me? Whose future is more secure than mine? Whose identity is more intact than mine? Who has more to fall back on than I do? And she'll stand there at the back of the line and she'll say to herself, nobody. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, we pray that as we undergo this study, this particular study of your word, that you would give us a really um, honest sense of the things that we have and the things that we don't have. So that with the things that we have, we would be so quick to share them, so quick to make them available to one another. And when it comes to the things that we don't have, that we'd be very quick to pray for them, to ask for them, have the right mindset about them. We thank you, Jesus, that you have gone before us. 
And all of your work assures for us an inheritance that can neither perish, spoil, nor fade. And with a trust in what you have done and what you are doing, we all pray together. Amen.